0: Testimony this man has. Gosh, I just love him. Praise the Lord. I want to talk to you about a message. This is sort of a men's message, so, ladies, just hang with me, please. Don't leave. Genesis chapter 32, verse 24 through 28. So Jacob was left alone, and the man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for this daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? The man said, or rather, Jacob, he answered. Then the man saying, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, but Israel. You know, John 10.10 simply says that the thief comes to steal, he comes to kill, and he comes to destroy. But I have come that they might have life and life in its abundancy. Now, let me ask you what might seem to be an illogical question, and the question is simply this. In the context of this one verse, John 10, 10, what similarities do we find in Jesus Christ, the righteous, holy king, and Satan, the devil, and this one verse? Well, there's two things. Number one, they're both coming. Number two, they have a purpose for their coming. They're coming to impact change in your life. And I want to talk to someone this morning who's destined for greatness, yet you have not recognized your position because you're preoccupied with your problem, with your past, with a label, with a failure, maybe even a nickname. But before we're done here this morning, it's my hope but you realize that you're not only destined for greatness, but you are destined for God's big-time greatness. Now, as we look into the Word of God, we understand that God is a covenant-keeping God. Say the word covenant with me. Well, what is covenant? Well, covenant, of course, is the biblical terminology that reflects and defines the word contract. It has nothing to do with feeling and nothing to do with personality, but it has everything to do with legality. Now, over and over in the Word of God, you will find the expression, to wit. To wit, God in Christ Jesus reconciled the world to himself. To wit is a legal term, implying that God is a covenant keeping God. Now, whenever you have a contract and there is a dispute, it matters not how the parties feel in the dispute. J.D., you've had contracts. I've had a few disputes, too because you always have to refer back to the contract to determine the validity of the arguments that have been raised. Let me give you a good example. In 1977, we had just pulverized the sorry, lowly Los Angeles lambs. I'm, I'm sorry, I was a Rams, Rams. <laughs> Forgive me. We were fitted and primed for Super Bowl XI. If you can imagine the state of that Minnesota Viking locker room. We were the first team to go to four Super Bowls in the 70s. Lost them all, but still it's like Buffalo who went back to back to back to back. But we were fit and primed and ready for Super Bowl XI. Man, if you can imagine the state of that Minnesota Viking locker room, the coaches were happy. The players were ecstatic. The owners were happy. I looked in the corner, and I saw, my goodness, that's the GM, Mike Lynn. He never smiles. But that particular day, he had a smile on his snarly-looking face. Well, he's the GM. He controls the purse strings. Well, because everybody was in a state of euphoric bliss, I said, my goodness, I'm going to hit these boys up for a little more cash, money, money, money. So I approached my agent. If he could approach the Vikings to see if we could make it happen. Well, the Vikings came back quickly with their response. And their response was in the form of a question pertaining to me. And the question was simply this, can your boy read? Major said, of course Joe Jackson can read. He has a degree in English, lit English. Yes, he can read. Well, great, because if he can read, he will understand that he has signed a legal document. And it is not our purpose It is not our position. It is not our plan. It is not our policy to tear up contracts and renegotiate. And, you know, I learned a valuable lesson. And the lesson is this. Well, just let me, I'll just say it this way. That's why a Christian who does not read the Word of God, who does not know the Word of God, who does not live the Word of God, Friend, you'll be defeated every single time. I don't care how many times you show up at Chandler First Assembly or any church. If you don't know this word, you'll be defeated every single time. Yeah, because whenever you approach God or the things of God, it's always through a vehicle of a covenant relationship that you possess with God. Now, over and over in the, in, the, in the Old Testament, we hear them praying to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, simply saying that, three, or rather that through these three patriarchs, they have become sort of the umbilical cord that attaches them to this covenant relationship with God. Now, when we consider Abraham and Isaac, we do recognize some of the struggles that Abraham had in his character. We recognize the difference between calling and character. We recognize the difference between ideals, Uh, Abraham and Sarah, you're going to have a baby, and realities. Abraham, you're 100, and Sarah, you're almost 90. We also recognize the difference in Genesis 12, where God spoke to Abram, and Genesis 22, where God spoke to Abraham and said, go sacrifice your son, son of the promise, we also recognize the difference in having a great name and being a great man. Well, Abraham, indeed, was a great man. He's booked in three religions in the world, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. And we can see why he's earned this sort of meritorious title, a patriarch of the faith. And when we look at his son Isaac, we can see a similar thread In his character, in spite of some of the flaws that Isaac inherited from Abraham. But Isaac was a blessed man. We'll agree on that. He was a godly man. He was a praying man. He was a man that God used to redig the wells of his father. He was a man who entered into the supernatural blessing. Now, go back with me many years ago to the fourth grade. J.D., you remember your fourth grade teacher? Okay. Pastor, you don't. Arlene, do you? Okay. Really? Who was it? Oh, okay. (laughs) My fourth grade teacher was Miss Webb. She was a mean lady. She's probably from Chandler. And uh, Miss Webb would give us an exercise in the fourth grade, and you probably have experienced it. Okay, here's the deal. We want you to draw a picture And then we want you to circle the item in the picture. That does not belong in the picture. Of course, it would be a picture of a living room where you find a flat screen TV, coffee table, sofa, love seat, refrigerator. Well, you would circle refrigerator. Most of our family rooms, you won't find a refrigerator. If I were to ask you right now to draw a picture of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and circle that individual that does not belong in the picture, who would it be? It'd be Jacob. You see, Jacob was the least likeliest person to ever have a covenant relationship with God. He did not reflect the character of his father, Isaac. He did not reflect the faith of Abraham, his grandfather. Jacob, as it were, were the proverbial black sheep of the family. He was vicious. He was riotous. He was robust. He lived by his own carnal disposition, his own carnal instincts. Yet, in spite of all of these adjectives, these labels given to Jacob, that boy was elevated to the high and lofty position of being a covenant bearer through which Israel prayed that they might be in contact with God. What is God trying to show us here? Well, God is trying to show you, you over there and everybody in the house, that whatever it is that causes a person to be you selected of God, it has nothing to do with your good looks. It has nothing to do with your goodness. That God uses people and chooses people. And I suppose if I live long enough, maybe I will come to the conclusion that, God, you're right. It's not by might. It's not by power, but it's by the spirit of the living God, that he is indeed the God of Jacob. You see, because of the manifold magnitude, did you hear what I said? I didn't just say magnitude. I said because of the manifold magnitude of what God desires to do in every soul's life who's in this room this morning, the devil Satan has tried to sit you up from Jump Street. If you remember, Jacob's struggle did not begin in his youth, did it? Jacob's struggle. Y'all some quiet folks for AG people. Am I a First Methodist? Everybody here needs to go to experience a black Baptist church. I guarantee you. Black, black people will coach you. Man, if, you, if you're having a struggle in the pulpit, help him, Lord, help him. Boy ain't got it. Help him, Lord. Come on. Wake up, folks. Help him. Boy can't preach this morning. Help him. Because of the manifold magnitude of what God desires to do in your life. The enemy has set us up from Jump Street so that we would not fulfill our destiny, so that we would not reach a sense of completion on the journey. Jacob was in a fight in the womb even before he got here. Maybe some of you were in a fight before you got here, literally and figuratively. You didn't come out of a peaceful situation, did you? You didn't come out of a calm environment, did you? You didn't come out of a Mayberry, Aunt Bee, Ozzie inherit, Herod, type of community. Maybe some of you came out of the furnace of affliction. Maybe some of you were born in the white hot heat of a struggle pastor told me that he was born, he was only three pounds, weighed three pounds. What a a start. Three pounds. Maybe some some of you think you were born on the wrong side of tracks, the wrong neighborhood, the wrong street, the wrong time, the wrong community, the wrong color. Hold on a minute, Big Joe. I I, I didn't know you were going to play that card. I got news for your brothers and sisters. I don't play cards. But I can remember growing up in Cincinnati, a large northern industrial city, and going to the amusement park called Coney Island. Couldn't wait to go to Coney Island in the summers. I mean, they had real rides. I'm talking about go-karts. I'm talking about uh, 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 roller coasters, haunted house. So we would spend all day at Coney Island Amusement Park. But the key is they boasted of the largest recreational pool in America America, called the Sunlight Pool. Go look it up. And the water looked blue. At the park where we went to the the pool there, the the water was kind of dirty and brown. You didn't know what was floating around in there. But the Sunlight Pool seemed to be clear blue water. So we'd go up there we put a little 35 cent down. and A little white girl would tell us, we don't take Negroes. I was only about eight or nine. We don't take Negroes. I said, well, I don't take them either. I just want to go swimming. <laughs> well, my Caucasian brothers and sisters don't get comfortable because the devil wants to keep us all on the back of the bus with the thought, that our current circumstances, our present condition would be the essence of our destiny. And Jacob was in a fight in his mother's womb even before he got started, which was incidentally the first biblical record of a woman who carried twins. And Rebecca asked a very significant question, and the question is simply this, why am I thus? In other words, why are there two nations warring inside of me? You see, somewhere in the thorns of your existence, you're going to find two different people living in your house. And you're going to wonder, God, why am I thus? Well, it's a battle for your soul. That's why. But see, God has a plan for your life. The fact that the enemy, he wants to assassinate, we know that. He wants to annihilate, and he wants to destroy you. God has a plan. That doesn't mean because God has a plan that you won't have to face a struggle. You know, I was, I was blessed even before they counted sacks. I finished second in sacks in 1972, my rookie year. Second. But there was no, as a matter of fact, J.D., I got three against Buffalo. <laughs> I'm sorry. But but but, there was no time that Dave Foley, your offensive tackle, ever said, Big Joe, make your way to our quarterback. Go kill him. It was a fight. It was a struggle. It was a battle. And Jacob was used, or rather Jacob was destined to be used of God in spite of his struggles, in spite of the fact that he, through Esau's weakness and Esau's carnality, was able to receive a birthright, think about that at that particular time, his calling and his character was not prepared to walk in. And there's Jacob holding this birthright that he received through trickery. He received uh, through deceit, through a scam. Jacob. That name literally means... Trickster, con artist, scammer. Unfortunately, these terms aren't isolated to those who are in institutions, in prisons, in jails. We might have a schemer in here this morning. Where you at? We might have a scammer in the house this morning. Am I looking at it? You've heard the expression, Pastor, that they've come in church, but the church ain't come in them. I was 12 years old at Second Trinity Baptist Church. And, Terrell, you've been to our church, or the church that I grew up out of. And uh, Reverend Mosley would come down, and he had a robe, man. He had a robe all the way to the floor. (laughs) And he'd say, who's going to come forward? Man, I, yeah. So 12 years old, I put my hand up, and I came forward. My parents were shocked. They thought I did something bad. (laughs) So Reverend Mosley says, well, how do you come, young man? How do you come? Do you come by letter or do you come by your Christian experience? I said, gee, I, I, I don't have a letter. So I come by my Christian experience. This is America. I come by my Christian experience. And I came forward, and then consequently, two things happened to me. Um, my name was entered in the church directory as a member of Second Trinity Baptist Church. And number two, I was baptized. Immersed in water. But see, nothing happened on the inside of my life. Nothing happened. And there are going to be baptisms. What is it? Next week? James? Wake up. Pay attention. (laughs) I called on you. James? Yeah, you're looking all right. (laughs) Looking at the clock. (laughs) And I was baptized, and you heard the expression, you go down a dry devil, and you come up a wet devil because nothing happened on the inside of my life. And so for the next six and a half years, I brought my street tactics, my street attitude, my street cool, my street hypocrisy into the house of the living God, and the only thing I had was just a superficial, razor thin veneer of Christianity applied to the surface of my life. And that's it. Nothing happened until I'm walking on the campus of New Mexico State University as an 18 year old freshman, and Ken Johnson shares this little track with me in 1969, and he leads me to the Lord. He leads me to Jesus Christ. And Christ does a work in my life. And see, if God has got a call upon your life, he will wrestle you down, that he might break you, that he might change you to his glory. Because nothing, nobody could do anything with Jacob. And God begins to wrestle Jacob down. Nobody could do anything with me. Scoutmaster couldn't do anything with me. The teacher couldn't do anything with me. Mommy and daddy couldn't do anything. Nobody could do anything with me but God. And God begins to wrestle Jacob down. But he begins, begins to wrestle him down until the breaking of the day. You need to understand, everybody in this house, you need to understand, That God's plan for your life is time sensitive because that's all we have is a vacuum of time. We played the Buffalo, rather, we played the Cincinnati Bengals in Cincinnati. And JD, as you know, on Saturdays, it's a kicking game, it's it's no contact. And you can bring your family on the field, at least the Jets could. And my dad always wanted to meet Joe Namath. So I asked Joe if he wouldn't mind taking a picture with my dad. Joe said, of course, no problem. And then, of course, there's, my, there's Namath, there's my aunt, there's my father with my Aggie jacket on, and there's me over there. Play the game, fly back to New York City. I think we played you guys the last game of the season, 73, right, when O.J. went broke Jim Brown's record. And... Um, after that game, I get a call from my brother at 2 a.m. And it's, it's, it's one of those calls that you dread because you know, who calls you at 2 a.m.? There was no caller ID back in the 70s. I didn't know who was calling. My brother, he said, Dad has just died. I said, what? He's just, he's 57. I don't even have the pictures developed. That's when you have to take him to a pharmacy. and get." I said, I, I, he's, he's dead. What do you mean? And most importantly, my father was not ready to die. He was only, I mean, he, not his age, but his heart was not right with God. Folks, let me tell you. It doesn't matter if you're not ready. When your time comes, you will die. The thing is to get yourself ready. Now, you have opportunity. Because there's a way, I mean, I mean. The Bible says that it's appointed unto man to die, and after that the judgment. So I went home, I was so ter- terribly broken up. My father was not ready to die. he He was a functional alcoholic. saw five kids go to college, get degrees, but my dad just struggled with alcohol. And my grandmother says, "Joey, I need to tell you something." I said, "What mom?" she said. Reverend Mosley gave the message, December 16th. My father's appointment with death is less than 24 hours. If something had to happen, it had to happen quickly. My dad went to church, but he always went. But for some reason, he responded to the altar call for salvation, gave his heart to Jesus Christ, went to work the very next day. Came upstairs on our back door, dropped dead on the back steps, 20 degrees. You know, I really don't care how tough you think you are, how bad you think you are, how smart you are, what color your skin is. How many degrees you have, what zip code you come out of, university you attend, your family tree, or who your daddy is. God knows where to hit you, that you might surrender to his purpose. God knows how to bring you into his presence, that you might seek his face, and you might find some of the answers, like, who am I? Why am I here? What is my purpose? And God asked Jacob, "Jacob, what is your name?" He said, uh, "Jacob. I am who they call me. <laughs> I'm just trickster. I'm just con man. You see, Jacob thought he was what the people called him. You need to be careful of whom you let name you. One situation, one event." One act doesn't determine who you are. We've all failed. But failure is not failure. Failure is not final unless you don't learn from it. And Jacob reflected the opinion of the people around him. You know, when I used to go to high schools, I used to tell these kids, never, ever, ever allow anyone's negative opinion to become your truth. I have a Super Bowl ring for Super Bowl XI. This ring has been appraised at over $15,000. I went to a jeweler. He had a little loop. And he looked at it closely and more um, intently, I suppose. And he found out some scarring, some wearing. And so he said $6,500. So we say $15,000. Then we go to $6,500. Then we bounce down to $4,500, because I went somewhere else, just for insurance purposes. So then I called Justin's. Johnson's manufacture high school rings, class rings, championship rings, Super Bowl rings. I said, what's the value of the ring that we were given for Super Bowl XI? I said, Mr. Jackson, let me put you on hold. i get right back at you. They came back, and they said $2,500. I said, whoa. No, I'm not a math major, but I know that's about a $13,000 variance. Why the difference? Well, the difference was determined by whom you asked. And that's called subjective value because everybody's got an opinion about what they think of you, good or bad. Your value is not determined by what I think or what man thinks because your value is intrinsic, which simply means that you are created in an off-the-hook dynamic image There's nobody like you. I don't care if you're 6'5", 260, or if you're 5'5". God has got a work and a calling and an anointing for you. Well, God graciously leads Jacob to a revelation of who he is. And God says, you're destined for greatness. I've given you a dream. I've given you a vision. And maybe from where you are now compared to where you would like to be, the vision just looks absolutely crazy. Remember, man is sensual and God is spiritual. And sometimes when God talks to us who is spiritual, what God says doesn't seem to make sense. Maybe your situation right now doesn't make sense. Maybe it looks stupid. You're destined for greatness. Maybe you come through a divorce. You're destined for greatness. Maybe you come through a bankruptcy, foreclosure. You're destined for greatness. Maybe you have just gotten in prison or just out of prison. You're destined for greatness. You know, Derek Chauvin is in St. Louis, or rather, he is in um, Oak Park Heights. Oak Park Heights is 30 miles west of the Twin Cities. And that prison there, because I used to go there every Sunday, and while I wasn't preaching, I was just mainly singing then, and I used to go there and, and minister to the inmates there. And that prison, part of it is underground. Underground. That's one of the most maximum secure pr- prisons in America. But well, see, those inmates in there can still fulfill God's destiny for their lives. Remember, failure is not failure, nor is it final, unless you don't learn some lesson from it and make some changes in your life. And at this point... Jacob begins to exemplify the unique trauma that is transferred to a soul who has had a God encounter. You see, in the spirit, we're destined for greatness, and the flesh, we're saying, Lord, how can you use me? But as I close up here, I just want to talk to some real people. I'm not talking about the phony baloney. I'm not talking about those who are self-righteous. I'm not talking about Deacon Flip-Flap or Big Mama Divine. And I just want to say that sometimes we're distracted by trying to kill our Jacob because we think God will never use us. When in reality, from the first moment that Jacob had his first encounter with God until he drew his last breath, we see both names are referred to the same person. Both guys keep showing up. Now, in the Scripture that we read, the Bible says your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Yet throughout all of Scripture, it's very rare if ever in this sequence, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Israel, He is forever the God of Jacob. The Bible says that they cried upon Israel. Next verse will say, Jacob spoke and said. We read, Jacob was old and about to die, but Israel rose and strengthened himself. God chose to be called the God of Jacob Just because I believe Jacob was a man so full of human infirmity and failure. You see, Jacob was a brother who probably came from my neighborhood. The God of Jacob is the guy who will bring pilgrims home. The God of Jacob is not ashamed to be called the God of Joe Jackson, Even when Joe Jackson's life does not reflect that, he still knows my name.